Uh, the reading of the scriptures uh, this morning from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30, and I invite your hearing of God's word in faith and in reverence. So from Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Among those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there is an allusion uh, in our immediate context uh, to the fall. Um, and what does that mean? Well, uh, it means that all of the effects of the fall will break upon all of us. All the vagaries of uh, life that attend to us, and they are many and manifold and sometimes incredibly intense, will, because of our forefather Adam, break upon us uh, and uh, break upon our emotions with the propensity to doubt, to doubt God, to doubt that he is sovereign, to doubt that things can come together for his glory and our good. Uh, and certainly in this uh, long journey of the faith, uh, our final exodus to heaven, uh, we, need, uh, we need for sure, we need help. Uh, all of the time, we need help. Uh, the older I get, the more I recognize, the more help that I need. Uh, remember the third stanza of Amazing Grace. Uh, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And grace is going to see us to the end. Uh, it's a great, great promise, but it's a reminder that uh, our end is glory. Uh, and regardless of what we see in this life and all of the difficulties and challenges that will attend to us, uh, it's not just our end is glory. Uh, but that God will take us there. Uh, and in our text this morning, um, in the midst of suffering, which is also part of the immediate uh, uh, context, um, God says that the Spirit will help us in our weakness uh, with uh, prayer, and He will give us the knowledge that the God is at work and he will remind us that our glory is certain. So, in this terrible journey, we have the presence of the triune God. I remind you, as I often do, certainly in the context of the book of Romans, that many churches deny the certainty of our assurance and that we can, by neglecting our sanctification, fall away from the faith and be lost all over again. Uh, the Apostle Paul in this text 
uh, will provide for us uh, the Trinitarian answer uh, to this uh, error. Again, uh, the immediate context uh, is our hope in the midst of suffering and trials, verse 18 of uh, Romans chapter 8, sufferings of this present time, uh, and pledged to our journey uh, to glory is the Spirit who dwells within us. If you look at verse 11, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So in this journey, we are not alone. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in this journey, the Spirit pledges to lead us. Look at verse 14. We are being led by the sons, uh, Son, pardon me, the Spirit of God, because we're the sons of God. So dwelling within us, the Spirit leads us. And then also, the Spirit is the first fruits of more to come. Look at verse 23. Uh, we have uh, the, the Spirit, uh, the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning that there's more to come. If you will, the best is yet to come. The greatest is to come. Uh, so in verses 26 and 27, we uh, have the certainty of our faith that we will make it uh, because on the way to glory, the Spirit prays for us. Uh, so that in the realization of our hope, at the end of our journey, Paul pledges the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 26, the Spirit helps our weaknesses that are manifold and great. Uh, all of us experience uh, them to a degree, uh, but uh, we have a measure that they will grow more intense as our journey grows longer. Uh, the word weakness is a very broad term encompassing all of the difficulties of life. Uh, whether they uh, be the loss of loved ones or the presence of a virus or bacteria or the failure of some system in our life or troubles in family, the Spirit is pledged to help us in all of these weaknesses. Uh, the verb help is in the present tense. Uh, in that sense, it stresses duration. Duration. So all along the way, the Spirit of God is helping us in our weaknesses. A cognate of this word, very beautiful uh, expression of it is uh, used in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. Uh, Jesus is in a house. Uh, Martha is preparing a meal for him. I don't know. Uh, I don't mean to be silly, but if it was me, it'd be fried chicken and fried okra and um, uh, lots of, of uh, peach cobbler, perhaps. So Mary is working, uh, pardon me, uh, Martha's working very hard and uh, she's distracted by all of these preparations. And again, I may not get that. Hospitality is hard work, <laughs> particularly when people leave. There's a lot of work to be done to clean up. And so she comes, uh, Martha comes to the Lord and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving 
alone? Tell my sister to help me. It's a cognate of our word. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. All along the way, even the difficulties of the ministry of hospitality, so necessary in the life of the church, the Spirit of God helps us in ministry. Uh, it's also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 11, verse 17. Very important uh, picture of uh, Moses. Uh, he's the single leader, uh, and all of the burdens of the people, guess what, break upon him. I mean, can you imagine all the plaints, complaints that he gets? Um, I mean, take your number, I'll get to you as soon as I can. Uh, I mean, he was in terribly burdened, and so... The Lord says, I will come down and speak with you there, and I will uh, take of the Spirit who is upon you, Moses, and will put him upon them, the elders, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it alone. There are many burdens in life. We don't bear them alone. The Spirit of God helps us. That's the pledge of God to us in our journey. It's the reason we will make it to the end because we have help in the Spirit who is omnipresent. Uh, how He helps us is nearly defined here uh, as our inability in light of all of our weaknesses to know how to pray precisely as to how we should pray. And therefore, Paul says, the Spirit intercedes for us. He makes petition on our behalf. I mean, sometimes uh, the gloom and its intensity breaks upon us and we're, we're just at a loss. I mean, how should I pray about this? Well, reminder is the Spirit knows. He's interceding for us. Now, as you know, so does our Savior pray for us. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus is praying. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou dost love me before the foundation of the world. You know, what a prayer. <laughs> I mean, what a prayer cementing that we will go to the end because of the prayer of the Son of God. Now, I love the text in, if you have your New Testament, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, in verse 25, uh, the author says, uh, Hence also he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Think about it. These are the two most powerful prayer partners in the entire world because they are both divine. And they're not to be denied. And that's why we will make it to the end. Because the Father will answer the prayers of the Son and the Spirit about you in the midst of your difficulties that break upon you. Uh, the groanings, um, again, verse 26 of uh, Romans chapter 8, the groanings too deep for words is a figure of speech, of course. 
that substitutes the intensity and the power of the prayer in light of our sufferings for the effect, namely that his prayers will be answered. When the Spirit prays, the Father listens. And the Father says, make it so. And it will be so. And we will reach our destination of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 is a picture of uh, this in a different way. Paul says, For if indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, well, because of the prayers of the Son and the Spirit, we will be so clothed. And we long to put off this body for the glory that awaits us at the end. Furthermore, the Spirit's prayers are linked to the knowledge that God the Father has of our needs and expectations, and the Spirit prays according to the will of the Father. Verse 27, he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The linkage establishes the undeniable efficacy of the prayers of the Spirit. When you pray according to the will of God, that prayer is going to be answered. The Spirit so prays. And again, think of the context, our sufferings, the fact that we groan in our present bodies because of the intensity sometimes it breaks upon us. Not to make light of any of those things, but we have the help of the Spirit praying according to the will of the Father, and those prayers will be answered. Thus, to our hope of glory is the unity and pledge of the Trinity for full realization. The weight of it all, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will take us to the end. Not just that we know our end of glory, but they will see us to the end. They are fully uh, informed of our condition. If you will, they speak among themselves to marshal all that is necessary to secure the glory that awaits us. Uh, and so, uh, along our journey, we have uh, prayers of the Spirit, a prayer for help, uh, now the Apostle Paul will uh, remind us to give us an awareness of the theology of our help. We will make it to the end because the Spirit gives us the knowledge that God is working all things for our good and for our glory, verses 28 to 30. So the Spirit helps us uh, with, with knowledge. Um, I might remind you of something that uh, I think plagues uh, many Christians. Uh, we sometimes uh, err because we base our life upon our feelings. Uh, and I understand feelings and emotions. I understand they can be very powerful. They're simply part of who we are, what we are. But the Spirit is going to remind us of the importance of knowing. Knowing. In a sense that the knowledge... Uh, the help that we have in our present estate uh, should inform our feelings and our emotions. As sons of God, we intuitively know, and what we know is that all things are working together for our good. 
that God in the supremacy of his power is turning all things for our good. Sometimes, seemingly, they come and they work us grave harm. The point of the text is that God turns it for our ultimate good. That nothing touches us, confronts us, interdicts us, fails us, or suffers us, that God is not present. And that he is able to turn it for our good. Again, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's a beautiful illustration of this in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 15, verse 20. The story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers betrayed him. Sheer jealousy. I bet that's never happened to none of you. Had someone that's so jealous of you that they try to work your harm. And now Joseph has an occasion to get even because of his position in Egypt. What does he say in Genesis 50, verse 20? As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Who can turn evil? Who can turn perfidy and jealousy? God can. And God does for his sons. And the knowledge of that is a present comfort amidst all of the vagaries of our lives. The good here is defined in the context as eternal glory, which for us is the greatest good. Now I remind you of something that's incredibly important. This text is qualified. Notice Romans chapter 8, verse 28. To those who are called according to his purpose. This promise that God will turn everything for our good does not apply to everyone. It applies to the sons of God uniquely and solely and entirely. If you think about the world and God's order and supremacy and sovereignty in the world, he will turn even the good of this world to the harm of all who are not his sons. Man, if there is ever a compelling reason to go to God, if you're not a Christian, to sue for peace, that is certainly one of the most manifest in all of Scripture. Because God can turn. He will turn. It will be so. And while men may be inaugurated into all the halls of fame and have every trophy and every position and power uh, and all the letters after their names, God will take it all away and turn it to ruin. And so, go to Christ. Sue for peace. Turn to him for forgiveness, sin, and guilt. So it's applicable only to those who love God and who are called according to his eternal purpose. The eternal purposes of God. You and I are so called. It's a reference to the decrees of God. When you read words like eternal purposes, 
means that God is so decreed. He decreed in eternity past that you would be a son. You would come to glory. And then he marshals all the means along the way, not just to tell you about your end, but to get you there. Great confessional statement of the Puritan, Shorter Catechism. Question seven. What are the decrees of God? Decrees of God are his eternal purposes, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. He has foreordained our end, and he has foreordained the Spirit to take us there. Included in the ordination of everything that come to pass is our eternal good. Remember a number of years ago, a great businessman by the name of Lee Iacocca, I suspect many of you don't recall that name, but uh, he uh, masterminded and planned one of the great turnarounds in American business history, uh, namely the turnaround of uh, Chrysler, the car maker. He used to have an ad that used to always intrigue me. You know how advertisements go. Sometimes they compare uh, different products and services. Well, Iacocca is comparing uh, Chrysler to all the other automobiles and over and over again in different ways and at different times in the advertisement, he would say, Advantage Chrysler. So even the things that come to your harm, God says, Advantage to my sons and daughters. And he not only declares it, he will make it so. It is as certain as God is God. It's a great reality that we have ultimate meaning and purpose in our lives and so that we can wait for his glory to work. And the goodness of God to us is based upon, of course, who we are. And that we should have an awareness of who we are. Because at different times in life, we're going to encounter very violent and intense storms. Sometimes we will wonder, will we ever make it to dry ground, speaking metaphorically? We need to know who we are. We need to have the certainty of the awareness of who we are. And so Paul now cements the reality of just who we are and what God has for us. In other words, our good will be established because of our identity as the recipients of divine action that comes to all of the sons of God. Now, I'm not unmindful that uh, you and I as Christians are to engage in actions for our own good. We're to read the Bible, to pray. Uh, there are worldly means that we're to use, like health care and uh, services. Uh, but uh, none of that, none of our actions to do good are in this chapter. Here it's the acts of God to which Paul repairs as the soul and entire basis in certainty of our eternal glory, and that he will get us there. In other words, the actions of God, the unfailing actions of God, the actions of God which cannot be turned, 
the actions of God who makes promises that must come to pass if he is God and will come to pass because he is God. So again, this awareness of the certainty of eternal glory based upon who we are. First, verses 29 to 30, first, he foreknew us. Uh, the term uh, is one of affection and endearment. It is not that he foresaw our actions of faith, as he certainly did, but that he foreloved us in eternity past, guaranteeing our actions of faith. Beautiful illustration of this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. The Apostle Paul tells the prophet, the prophet, I remind you, who has one of the greatest and most difficult commissions of all of the prophets. He says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. When God tells Jeremiah, I knew you. The analogy is, I loved you. I loved you. And that, if you are a Christian, is true of you this morning. In eternity past, God set his affections and endearment upon you to run you to ground, to turn you to the Savior, to dispatch the Spirit, to help you all along the way, to take you to the end. Second, he predestined us to conformity to the image of his Son. This is why God knows all things <laughs> beforehand. I'm always amazed by the many Arminian view of foreknowledge. God looks down the quarters of time, if you will, and he learns some things about us and that we're going to be good and have faith in Jesus, and so he elects us based upon that. Now, I mean, no, that's impossible if you understand theology. The reason why God knows all things beforehand is because he predestined all things before they even begin to occur. And he even predestines the means. In our case, he predestines the means of the Spirit to help us in our journey to take us to the end. He decrees them all to make it so. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul says he predestined us to adoption, to sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Just as simply the sovereign pleasure of God to love you for no other reason whatsoever than his sovereign grace. Verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. And that is the entirety of Romans chapter 8 in one verse having been predestined to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And in eternity past, what was the counsel of his will? Save my sons, Jesus. Jesus makes it so. Apply it to them, great spirit. 
and the Spirit makes it so. And we are the recipients, the beneficiaries of the greatest acts of the only God in all of eternity and time. We will come to possess all of the constituent aspects of glory. Christ was first. He rose again glorified. We will follow him and become like him. Great reminder of this in Philippians uh, chapter 3 and verse 21. The coming of Christ is the context who will transform the body of our humble estate into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. The Son, the eternal Son, the omnipotent Son will make it so. As the creator of the church, he will glorify all of the sons of God. Our end is certain, but the means to get it there, just as certain. Presence of the Spirit. So regardless of our plight, regardless of our storms, our end state is glory. And God will get us there. Now, I would remind you, the American church, in my own humble estimation, that our greatest struggle, present journey, is with deception. But think about the Christians in North Korea, China, Saudi Arabia. You get publicly baptized, probably cost you your life. And just as the Spirit helps you, the Spirit will help them. We should, we should have the same intensity of their prayers in light of their physical danger, uh, in light of the dangers, the present spiritual dangers in our own present circumstances. But our conformity to Christ encompasses the total reversal of the curse caused by the first Adam. He lost glory. In the pristine majesty of the image of God, he lost it. The last Adam recovers it for us. It will be ours. It is now in the regeneration but it will be so in our glorification. And we, of course, are going to be caught up in it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from His to ours, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so the Spirit helps our weakness by praying for us and by making us aware of who we are as the sons of God. There is a reminder here in my own mind of the importance of the word image. The word image is used in uh, 
Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 3 of idolatrous images. Nebuchadnezzar as a dream sees a great image. It's a, the image he sees is an idol. And then he sees this image of a rock smashing into the idol, turning it into the chaff that the wind simply blows away. It's a picture of all the idolaters of this world. The rock is Christ. He will break upon them all and grind them into fine powder. And the wind will blow them into a Christless eternity. Not so for us, because we are sons. Another compelling reason, if you're not a Christian, you do not know Christ as your Savior. You do not follow him as your great shepherd. Sue for peace. Go to him. Sue for peace. Believe who he is, what he did. It's the world's counterfeits to the divine image. It's the importance of all of the images of idols. They are counterfeit to the great image of Christ, the glorified Christ. They have the appearance of power, majesty, and wealth. The world worships the idols, and God will turn them to ruin. He will turn us to everlasting glory. So he foreknew us, he predestined us, thirdly, he called us. Verse 30, Romans chapter 8. Having predestined us to sonship, he issued a divine efficacious call to bring us. It's more than an invitation. It's a summons so powerful that it makes us willing to come. I sometimes offer invitations I can't bring. The Spirit invites, but by His divine power, He can bring everyone He invites. The call of God to the sons of God. Fourth, He justified us. He declared us to be forensically righteous based upon the righteousness of uh, the Son of God, Christ. The outcome is what? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now. You, you, you know the words, don't you? No condemnation to those who are in Christ. None. No condemnation. The court of heaven is settled forever. Christ met the demands of the law against you. Satisfied them all. Your condemnation evaporates and is blown away by the grace and power of God. Lastly, he glorified us. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's very important you recognize uh, that all of these verbs... Let's look at them very quickly. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. You catch the tense? They're all in the past tense. 
And how can that be? Glorification is not yet. How can it be in the past tense? The Greek uh, use of the language, there is uh, a use of the past tense called the dramatic aorist. I sometimes refer to it as a proleptic aorist. It speaks of something that's future that is so certain to occur that it's spoken of as already realized. My friend, if there ever was a promise, that is an incredible promise. To speak of our glorification in the past tense is a reminder that's so dramatic because of him who makes it. It will be so. It's our instate as Christians and the promise that all along the way and all of the challenges of life that we face, he will bring us, take us to the end. The dramatic heiress means that the accomplishments are so certain that Paul speaks of them as if they have already occurred. Incredible. The drama of language reminding us, making us aware of what awaits us. Furthermore, as you know from the repetition in these two verses, 29 and 30, they're all linked together. I mean, let's just look real quickly. For whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. The linkage is incredible. And God is the subject of all of the verbs. So I'll remind you once again, uh, most American churches in the Wesleyan Arminian tradition Roman Catholic tradition, Eastern Orthodox tradition. I've covered massive geography of the American church, or the worldwide church for that matter. Contend that we can fall away because we fail at sanctification. Uh, You know why that position is wrong? Sanctification is not linked in this text. There's no mention of it. Meaning that it is certain as well. If we're going to be glorified, that is certain. There's no mention in this text. I would acknowledge that it's implicitly realized, and we will begin to cover it more thoroughly coming to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But all of this is the divine actions. Human actions are not mentioned in this text. The actions are all divine. God will make it so. Not only can he control the end, but all the means all along the way. That's the beauty of Romans chapter 8. God does not say to his sons, good luck, I hope you make it. He says, you are my sons. Glory awaits you. I will take you there. We can only fail in glory if God can fail. And that is impossible. God cannot fail, does not fail, never fails. Never can brook failure. Failure is in our vocabulary, not God's. Because he is God. He is omnipotent. 
He declares the end from the beginning. And thank God we are his sons. And so we should worship him because we are sons. And all of the divine affections that attend to us in the midst of the vagaries of this life. Benjamin Warfield, I believe one of the greatest of the American theologians, describes this as the five golden links welded together in one unbreakable chain. I might add, that chain will see us to the end. The end is glory that God will get us there.